prepare yourselves for a journey through history. Get equipped for adventure. Grab your power gloves and super scopes, for it's dangerous to go alone. This is the Legend of Retro. Welcome everybody to this week's Legend of Retro podcast. I am Chops and my trusty bolo whip next to me, Craig WK, is here. I don't, I just don't know how I like that. Would uh, you rather be my fedora? Bolo whip it is. All right, yes. And this week we have two returning favorites from the last action podcast. We have LPJ. Well, at least you didn't call me Sala like all of my other friends do. That's because that's <laughs> what I'm usually called. And oh, right? Yeah, no, uh, no, I'm, I, I'm been known as the exotic friend of my friend group, so that's okay. <laughs> uh, and we also have Hovercraft Joe. Uh, what's up, guys? Good to be back. And um, I'm not sure when this releases in regards to any other episodes we've recorded with you guys, but I will say thank you for coming on again. And uh, this week we are talking about. I don't want to call it a classic, but it's with a classic character, and it's Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. What? What do you mean not a classic? <laughs> Already, you're uh, the LPJ game offended. Good. No, that's that, that's good. No, hold up. Let's let's lay the details down first. So this is was developed by Lucas Arts and released for MS DOS in June of 1992. <laughs> This point-and-click adventure game features Indiana Jones on a quest to stop Nazis from gaining the power of a lost civilization. And I must say, I'm glad you uh, introduced me as your Bolo Whip and not your Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to, but uh, it, that's, that looks down on Nazis. Um, anyways, oh. so... Uh... <laughs> oh. Oh, you, are, you are not starting this episode off. Savage! I'm not saying you're wrong, but that's still <laughs> savage. Hey, Chops here. I'm going to uh, bury everything ever on this episode. <laughs> I got to set myself up really high in the beginning so that I could fall immediately. Um, LBJ, why don't you think this is a cl- or why do you think this is a classic game? Well, from a number standpoint, this is one of the highest selling point and click adventure games of all time. Uh, it's also considered one of the best point and click adventure games of all time. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, uh, you oh, know, there you go. I, I, I didn't get a computer until 1997, so I lost out on my chance to play a lot of these classic LucasArts point-and-click adventure games, honestly. Uh, however, uh, watching just a playthrough online of the, uh, the talkie version from 93 when they added uh, uh, dialogue... I felt like this was probably better than most of the Indiana... Well, maybe not most, at least the Crystal Skull. Like, it was better than Crystal Skull. I'd rather watch the playthrough of this than that one. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I only—I didn't know there was a non-talk version of this one. Um, I only played the CD-ROM version. This is the one that LPJ bought. Um, which I don't know if... Did we play this when it came out? The year it came out? Or did you get it much later? Well, this is where it ties in with Joe. Um, Joe, do you want to talk about how you first played it? Well, well, uh, yeah, yes, I, I think I do. I mean, sometimes we're not on the same wavelength, but but here goes. Here is kind of my uh, background. And I remember 
this is the first thing I'm going to say. It's a little unconnected. I remember being at like a family friend's house. Uh, you know, our parents were friends and they were like, whatever, you know, probably drinking downstairs or whatever they were doing. And we were upstairs and they, the, the, the kids, they were about our age. They had the, uh, 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 <laughs> yes. You're singing a song for us. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like having a, uh, brain fart here. The third Indiana Jones movie, there was a computer, a point and click game for, uh, last crusade. Yep. Yes. And it was kind of like the precursor to fate of Atlanta. So I remember playing that. I remember it was like super detailed. It had like a, uh, actual like grail Bible that you could pull out anyways. Ooh. So that's like the introduction, but then we had a computer, uh, you know, this around this time and a friend of my brother's, uh, and he came over, he had all these games and he like just loaded a bunch of stuff onto our computer. And it was like Babe Atlantis. It was the original monkey Island. Uh, it was maniac mansion, uh, day of the tentacle, so it was like on my computer downstairs in the basement. And I remember playing all those games. And this is one of them that I remember playing a ton. And it had to be, I don't know if it was right when it came out, but it had to be somewhere around then that when it came out. It definitely was a bootleg copy, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. I remember that's exactly it. Uh, you had that Packard Bell computer in your basement. Uh, <laughs> Packard Bell. Packard Bell. Jeremy Micah came over with all of his computer software and it was a hacked bootleg copy of this game uh that he had loaded on and um and yeah it was the summer of 92 it was right when this game came out so and this would have been the dos version not the talkie version this was not the talkie version this was the dos version yeah and i would you know during that over the course of that summer i was at joe's house constantly and we played through like first we played through all the monkey island um, and then we played through all of this game and I, I never got a chance to see you play day of the tentacle for whatever reason. I think we didn't get to it or something. Um, I think we also had monkey Island too. And I'm remembering yeah, a couple of the right. LucasArts, like, like X-wing games around there yeah, too. Yeah. So. You had uh, you had tie fighter versus X-wing and uh, no, it wasn't tie fighter versus X-wing. It was just, uh, yeah, it was tie fighter versus X-wing. Maybe it was just um, X-wing. It was something like that. It was something. <laughs> yeah. It was whatever the first one was. Um, but yeah, but we played those, and that's where I first played it. And then in after I graduated high school uh, that summer, I took all my graduation money and I bought my first computer. And the first set of games I bought were the LucasArts collection, one of the LucasArts collections that had Monkey Island 1 and 2 in it. And then this game I also bought as well at the same time, the talkie version. And that's that I blew through that game, played it like crazy, and I've played it. I don't know, three or four times since then, like over the course of the past, you know, 20 years. Yeah, my my big background in gaming that is much different from, I feel, Craig and Xander and the glitches is the point and click adventure games that I played because of my brother uh, having them on a computer that I was able to actually play because I benefited from anything that he bought and brought into the household. <laughs> um, so I got to play those games at a younger age, which I was usually pretty bad at and had to have him help me with them. But it was one of the first games, I think, in my generation of gaming where the problem solving, like I felt drive to wanting to problem solve and figure out these puzzles and like, I was very much invested in trying to figure them out on my own, uh, which is some of the earliest games I remember trying to do that. Unlike Sega and Nintendo games, I, I don't remember trying that much. You know, and, and to your credit, at the time, you were eight. So yeah. 
being an eight-year-old sitting down to play this game and try and figure it out without any help is pretty impressive because this game's not, you know, it's a point-and-click game. It's not going to tell you what to do. It's not run here, jump here, shoot this. You have to solve puzzles and figure them out. And for an eight-year-old to know to, you know, grease up a bookshelf with some old mayonnaise so you can move it easier, <laughs> you know, right. they're not going to think about that. No. Uh, so the fact that he sat and played it as much as he did, I give him a lot of credit. Oh, well, thanks. It's, I, I, again, I don't know. I don't know why point-and-click adventure games is what got me to focus and actually solve games, but that, The Dig, Monkey Island, um, were some of the biggest games of my gaming that I can remember that, like, kicked off that that next level of, like, oh, I'm actually going to think about this game and figure out how to beat it instead of just blowing through it in a platformer uh, type of game. Um, Uh, So uh, here's a, a question for you guys. Uh, have you guys uh, all or any of you beaten the game? It sounds like LPJ has at least. Well, mm-hmm. we were supposed to record this episode a year ago. Oh, yeah. So so funny <laughs> note, <laughs> when stay-at-home orders happened or the, the, the no, pandemic no week, started in March. No the stay-at-home order hit. We were supposed to record and we're like, let's not go into the studio and then stay-at-home orders hit. And we're like probably a good idea we didn't go in the studio and record this so uh we've had almost you know what nine months ten months of notes worth since this uh we plan on on recording this game so i know i and and before then i've beaten this game i know lpj has but i don't know hovercraft you have beaten it right I don't know if I beat it. I've seen it beat, like, back in the day. Um, and then it, it is funny that you bring up, like, the, this episode almost half it happening because I remember I had watched, like, a nine-hour playthrough. <laughs> and I then it was like, then it was like, oh, yeah, we're not doing it. I was like, <laughs> So I will tell you guys, I did not rewatch the nine-hour playthrough. In preparation for doing this episode nine months ago, I actually uh, bought the game on Steam and played through the whole thing. Oh, so nice. I've recently, I've recently played and beat through this. And it was crazy, too. We'll get into it, but there's three ways to play it, three versions of the three kind of three kind of branches the game takes. And there was a branch that I had never played before, so it was very interesting. Yeah, I doing research on this, I didn't realize that there was different branches because, again, I'm running off of my younger memory of playing this game. And this is one of the first games I remember also where there was, as far as a point-and-click adventure game goes, um, King's Quest games aside, because those games are very, there's a lot of depth to them, this is one of the first point-and-click that I remember different strategies to solving different puzzles. Um, and and some sort of randomness in the game as well as to what puzzles you may have to solve over others, which I thought was really unique of this game because um, I, I, I don't I don't know of many around the time that were doing that. Like I said, other than the King's Quest games, which are just way too <laughs> detailed. Well, of point those, and are, click. those are point and click. Those are text based. Well, the newer ones were point and click. The newer, yeah, the, the newest deal yeah, around, around this time. Around this time. Because Sierra was the other point-and-click adventure game maker at the time, and they competed against LucasArts Mm -hmm. very heavily in that world, and most of their released games were King's Quest, and and I don't remember what other ones there were. Um, Yeah, a space version of King's Quest. I think it was called Space Quest. I think Sam and Max was a Sierra game series. No, that was... uh, 
Lucas Arts. Is yeah. that Lucas? That was Lucas. Yeah, that was, okay. that was Lucas Arts. Yeah. So uh, this game being what it is fits perfectly in the mold of an Indiana Jones world. One, two, it having that replayability with the different paths and with the different ways to solve puzzles made it a lot of fun to replay. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and especially like this time through when I played it, there's so so getting into the game a little bit, you meet up with a character uh, who is a former colleague of yours uh, who has since become basically a um, a, a psychic. And you have the option at one point to either take her with you and play the game cooperatively with her. Uh, or you can go one route that involves um, more puzzles and more complicated puzzles. The, the wits path. The wits path, yep. Yeah. And then there's the third path, which allows you to basically kind of punch your way through the game. <laughs> yeah, uh, so plus puzzles and you basically just beat people up. The, the game, for being mostly starting out as a puzzle point-and-click adventure game, had a fighting mechanic system in it, too, that you could focus on if you wanted to, which wasn't it very wasn't fun. Well, it was okay. But... It wasn't a bad mechanic, believe it or not, as far as point-and-click adventure fighting mechanics go, you know, That's it was fair. actually pretty solid. It was okay. What do you? Th- why are you uh, exasperated there over Crypt? Oh yeah, it's cheesy. Because I, 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 I mean, like I, I understand from the perspective of like a point and click adventure game, but I would, I, I would say it's rudimentary at best. Yeah. I mean, it's just like it reminds me of like a NHL hockey game where you're just like yes. dun, 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 and then like somebody falls over. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like a bar at the bottom you have to deplete. But yeah, that, uh, that is that is. I will say that is very interesting you know something that i kind of came across in preparation with this is that i didn't realize that it was they were considered completely different paths like that like like Skip i think when we were different areas or play like them I, differently like i think definitely when we had it originally on the computer and we we're playing we definitely did the path like the cooperative one because i remember uh i remember having um sophia with us like the whole time so yep. it's very interesting for me to learn now that like you could play this game and it would be completely different yeah, well and one of them like <clears throat> in this cooperative part there's a point there's a point where you actually drive the sub you get into a submarine you actually drive the sub around in the version i played because you're not playing cooperatively you don't drive the sub around like you completely skip that part you just show um, up when the sub arrives i think well you're on happens. the sub but it basically drives itself you're doing other tasks mm. to get the sub to go where you want it to go mm. um there's another point where you're flying a hot air balloon i uh, remember that <laughs> yeah vividly yep and, and, but in one of the in one of the quests you don't fly the hot air balloon at all uh, yeah there's all kinds of different paths you take and, and the premise of the game is it's uh, 1939, the eve of World War II, and um, basically you get you 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 get a visit from a um, Mr. Smith, who's a professor and a friend of Indiana Jones. Uh, Chops, not just Mr. Smith. His name is Mr. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. What 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 Craig said. Um, <laughs> And uh, Indiana Jones retrieves this this horned figure, um, and use, and Smith uses the key to open it and find a sparkling metal bead inside, which you learn to be uh, is it Oracalcum, right? Yep, Oracalcum. Mm-hmm. And and it leads them down basically a hunt to find the lost city of Atlantis, which was in the game I think they described as a continent, right? That sank. Yeah. 
um, and it's basically the stop uh, for the Nazis from finding orichalcum beads to rule the world. I uh, I appreciate that uh, in that intro, uh, he like the guy introduces himself. He's like he's like Mister Smith, and it's like oh that seems weird, right? And then you get his uh, like license after, and, like after you like steal his coat from him, and it's Fritz, and it's like oh, yeah, that seems more like it. I <laughs> uh, also I I I I just love. The fact that uh, they pull, obviously not real world stuff, Atlantis of course isn't real, but I love that they pull kind of real world references, like the works of Plato that refer- who referenced Atlantis and stuff. like. So it's kind of neat that they pull real world stuff to make it feel a little bit more, I don't know, like there's a little bit more of mystique to it, you know, like, oh, yeah, maybe this could be real kind of thing, like the willing suspension of disbelief. Well, that all goes back to how this game was developed. Um, initially, uh, after the success of um, uh, the Holy Grail game, uh, they wanted to uh, take another, they had, a, they had an unused Indiana Jones script for another sequel that they were going to try and make into a game because they just, that's what they were going to go with. Um, go ahead, Craig. Uh, I was going to say, uh, Hovercraft Joe, you'll appreciate this. Uh, and this ties into a previous episode you've been on. The rejected script involved Journey to the West and the Monkey King, which is what <laughs> Dragon Ball was stolen from, which is what uh, uh, Alex Kidd was referenced to. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. The, the mind-blowing discovery that Alex Kidd was developed as a Dragon Ball game and then they like, <laughs> lost the license and they're like, I don't know, what if we just changed like two things? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I appreciate, though, the, the fact that it's full circle with uh, Alex Kidd and uh, Hovercraft Joe with that. <laughs> yep. But anyway, so Hal Barwood, who, by the way, Hal Barwood is basically the godfather of point-and-click adventure games. Uh, he ba- he kind of wrote and directed and produced all of the great LucasArts uh, point-and-click adventure games. Uh, but while he was researching information for that other script to turn it into a game, they had compiled all of this information about Atlantis. And when the other script, when they decided that it wasn't feasible to do that, they had all of this research already, and they decided to just take that and turn it into a game. And that's how Fate of Atlantis was developed. Um, and at one point, there were talks to take Fate of Atlantis, the game, and turn it into the next Indiana Jones movie sequel. Uh, that obviously never happened, and we got, you know, Crystal Skull. Uh, uh. Right. But at one point, this was considered canon in the Indiana Jones uh, uh, pantheon of movies. And, and I take a little resentment, uh, Craig. Uh, I, I'm not a flat earther, but I am an Atlantis believer. So <laughs> you may say that it's not real, but I believe Atlantis exists. Listen, Atlantis is just as fake as all the other insane theories. It's not like a legitimate theory like Satchmo. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, guys, if Atlantis isn't real, where does Aquaman live? Exactly. Yeah. Come right? on, guys. Game, set, match, atheist. <laughs> <laughs> and, all right, so um, this game also uses the illustrious scum. Um, it's not scum VM at this point, right? It's just scum. Well, VM, VM uh, is the virtual machine. That's the virtual version yeah. that you download onto PCs nowadays to get it to run. 
uh, but Scum was the original game engine. And, the and organization like, that James Bond Jr. fights? <laughs> uh, it, stands, it stands for Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion. Basically, this was the game engine they developed for Maniac Mansion that they then took and used for other games. It, actually, this is one of the very first um, universal game engines that was ever developed. Like, this idea then spawned things like the Unreal, Unreal Engine and, you know, all the other game engines that essentially they just take and put different skins on. Um, I will say, uh, the the Scum Engine uh, that they use for these LucasArts point-and-click adventure games, uh, they work really well. Like, you know, Maniac yeah. Mansion is quite a bit more dated-looking than, uh, you know, Fate of Atlantis. I. Uh, but considering it's the same engine, that's super impressive because, I mean, it works perfectly for what you want it to do. Point and click adventure, you know? Yeah. Yeah, really. Other than, you know, um, other than uh, uh, like updates to the interface and, you know, graphical things and little tweaks here and there, it's essentially the same thing in, in Maniac Mansion that they eventually use in games like Full Throttle. Or you know other games that are later down down the down the LucasArts line, mm -hmm. and you can get this game remastered now. Um, I think like a, there was like a thirtieth or twenty fifth. I don't know what anniversary it was. Um, yeah, there's a remaster version of it. it makes it look really really clean, and um, like that's most, the, that's what? the one that's on Steam. Mm -hmm. And like most of the LucasArts games, the. <laughs> The, the main thing that you will always remember from a point-and-click adventure game is the pixel hunting, is what it's called, where you basically are scrolling your mouse across the screen to figure out what you can interact with so that you can figure out where the heck you need to go, and then trying every item in every push, pull, use, uh, uh, look at, read, talk with, whatever <laughs> the verb is, uh, to, to use it on everything else to figure out where you need to go. Oh, yeah, we should probably explain for people who don't know what point-and-click adventure games are. We didn't actually go into that. Uh, a point-and-click adventure game is you have a series of verbs, uh, like talk to, touch, push, pull, open, close, uh, use, uh, punch, give, Hug. And at the bottom of the screen, you click that, and then you yes. click an object, and you can interact with that object using one of these verbs. Uh, and based on that, uh, you can combine different objects, and that's how you solve the puzzles. Like So, like for example, if you have, in this game, a shelf that won't move, and you happen <laughs> to have picked up the jar of rotten mayonnaise from the fridge earlier, you can use mayonnaise on the bookshelf, and it will grease up the bookshelf so you can slide the bookshelf across the floor. Punch mayonnaise, hug mayonnaise. Sure. Kiss <laughs> mayonnaise. Talk to mayonnaise. That's what I feel like I remember out of most of like all these point and click games is like, well, what can I pick up? Like what in this what in these rooms can I pick up? And then like what kind of like crazy way am I gonna have to use them? Because like and I remember playing this like and we've touched on I think we touched on this like when we were talking about Alex Kidd, but it's like, this game is so old. Like when you got stuck, you were stuck. Like it wasn't like you yeah. could go online or watch like a YouTube walkthrough. Right. It's like, if you were, if you were stuck, it's like, uh Oh, <laughs> like I don't know what to do. And you would just be stuck for days in the same spot, trying everything you could yeah, in order spending, to figure it out. Spending hours. <laughs> 
going to the same places over and over again, trying the same items and the same stuff, when it's just like, it's always the worst too in point-and-click adventure games, because it's like the dumbest thing that you could have done to progress like one space forward and then you have everything else that you need already on you and you're like plowing through the next part uh like i I remember i mean right in the beginning there's a there's a part in the game where um i forgot what continent you're on but there's a like a ravine that you have to cross and you can't get across because there's a snake in the tree and and, uh, Indiana Jones hates snakes and there's this like weird looking creature like in the foreground of the scene and essentially what you need to do is use your whip to scare the creature so that it goes near the snake and then the snake attacks the creature and they both roll off the edge of the ravine (laughs) so you can swing across (laughs) on the tree and I just like this, this, the stupidest things like that to, to be able just to progress into the air. Like you can't even do anything, but like, but that, but if you don't know to use the whip on the creature, you can't go anywhere. Now I will say, uh, to, to change gears from kind of the obtuse nature of, uh, point and click adventure games, I, uh, the voice acting for the talkie version, surprisingly pretty good. It's really good. Yeah, yeah Lucas Arts. It's obviously not Harrison Ford doing the voice of Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh God, can you imagine no. someone a, asking him to do that? It's a reasonable facsimile. Yeah, I think it does. He does a whoever it is does a, a decent enough job. Uh, apparently, uh, Indy or Indiana Jones, Indy was busy. Uh, no, uh, apparently Harrison Ford was busy and like couldn't fit in in his schedule but i'm sure that it wasn't that they asked harrison ford it's that it went to the agent and the agent went what no no <laughs> can you imagine never. like like harrison we need you to sit in the booth we need you to say all these different possible combinations of things like i feel like he would have just walked off and I, been like uh, no i'm done i don't think i'm gonna do that <laughs> I, like, I can't what? walk there I can't lift that. This won't work with that. <laughs> Those won't go together. I don't want to put my mouth on that. <laughs> mayonnaise. Who would ever want to drink mayonnaise? But, but no, I agree with you, uh, Craig, because um, when I watched that extremely long playthrough, it was the uh, the talky version. And I, like I said, when I originally played it, it was definitely not. So, it, But I, they were pretty, you know, like it is a decent Harrison Ford facsimile like it's it's a, it's a decent performance for what it is for the early 90s I mean just last week we talked about uh you know a Sega CD game that had a horrible voice acting <laughs> this is a PC game and mind you it has the budget of LucasArts behind it you know which is a, a big difference it's more of a I feel like certainly at this time LucasArts was pumping out more like passion project material I. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, it, it it's still impressive that the voice acting was pretty good. Hovercraft, like, how did you get the commitment to, to watch a nine-hour playthrough of this well, game? I, you know, because it, here's the thing, and a, a little behind the scenes, like, I know when we're doing episodes of our show, I know exactly what I need to do to prepare. And I know like everything, but, but like when I'm a guest, like on your, I, I'm, I'm always like, well, what, do, what do I need to know? Like, how much do I need to know about this? So I, I I'm 
kind of a person who tends to over prepare. So I was like, well, I got to watch the game. I got to be familiar with the game. And that was like the one that I found. And I was like, okay. Uh, Hovercraft Joe, your nine hours of research on this one game have tr- has trubbed all the research I've ever done on this show ever. <laughs> I would say that it's more research than I would have done for 10 episodes. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I think in the back of my head, I was like, oh, you know, I really love the game. And I just, I'm just, I just, you know, it'd be fun to watch it. But then it was like, oh, this is long. Like, cause it's like, you know, it, it, you, they go through everything. And I think they show you, I think the problem was, is that I, 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 I think I watched like two different versions. The first one was one where it was like, the person was, figuring everything out so they would try the wrong oh, no. game. And that was what and I think finally I found one where it was like it was still long, but it was at least they they were like, okay, this is what you do and they just did all the things. So it wasn't like, oh, I can't with that. I can't you know, it was like less discovery and more just watching watching it through. So So Hovercraft, do you remember playing much of it at all? Oh yeah. I I I, I there's parts of it that I remember vividly from originally playing it on that Packard Bell. Like, flying around in the balloon is something that I remember. Uh, and I remember, because uh, I, I think watching the end of it, I think it was my brother's friend who brought it over to us. It ended up, I, but I remember, like, that weird part where you're, like, driving that thing, like, in Atlantis, yeah. you know? Like, I remember that part. And I, the one thing that seemed, like, super tedious when I was walking, watching the walk there and I remember from it is like when you're in Atlantis and you can't have to go down like like all those like overhead views where you're like walking into the rooms you know like I'm like yeah because it's like a big round room like a big circle basically and in those games they to show like open spaces they did a top-down view of your character from a high perspective so they're like a tiny little sprite and then you had like doorways that they'd go in and go in that like you only knew what you would go in by like the white opening that of light coming out of it yeah when i was playing that part it, it wasn't it wasn't as bad um on the steam version because there there was no no load times as far as like <clears throat> when you enter the rooms so that part was wasn't wasn't bad the part that i found the most tedious was the ending because like the last part of the game it's not even you're not even solving a puzzle you're essentially trying to pick the right sections of the right things of dialogue to say to mm-hmm. get you the correct outcome and it was and it's you have to go through like five or six different branches of dialogue in order to get to where you need to get to and it was super irritating. I eventually had to look it up because <laughs> I was tired of trying. I'd spent like 30 minutes trying to do this. And I was like, this is dumb. And I, and so the ending is the only thing that kind of makes me mad on this game. Um, but you know, overall great game. Yeah. So like to spoil the ending a little, cause it's an older game. So I don't really care if people didn't play it yet. Um, but uh, essentially the ending is wild. It's it's weird. So, like, there's a mixture of you're trying to stop the Nazis from getting all this orichalcum, but you're also there's like a a ghost spirit that is involved throughout this whole thing, and his name is Nur Absal, and it's like this god ghost that has something to do with Atlantis. I don't remember specifically. He's the king of Atlantis. King of Atlantis. Okay, and he inhabits the body of Sophia. Um. And you, 
part of the ending involves either you freeing the soul of the ghost from Sophia or not, and it also involves whether or not you give the Nazis the power of the Orichalcum or you take on the power of the Orichalcum. And essentially what happens is um, if you let them take the power and you don't choose the right one, then they win. And by power, I mean it's the amount of beads that you give up. But if you have them take the right amount for the good ending, which is 100 beads, you see the Nazi turn into this, like, demon, <laughs> I think. It's like an electric, this green electrical demon thing. Yeah, it's like pure energy. And it's like, causes basically the Atlanta city to overload and blow up the whole city. Uh, but if you don't choose right, then you, you, you as Indiana Jones gets turned into this energy beast and you lose. You actually lose the game. Yeah, and it has this like terrifying scream that it lets oh, out. Yeah. And it, oh, yeah. it is it is ridiculous like it is right and, and then if you oh go ahead you know and, and if you die you start back to wherever your last save point is and right so if you had to save right before that you got to go back and like wind your way through this maze that you had to get through in order to get to the last section of the game it was it was a mess and, and, it's a dumb thing to make all those beads yeah, yeah. oh my god and then also if if you don't save the Sophia from the spirit, she dies Whoa. and you still beat the game, but you're like upset that you let Sophia die. Yeah. Like, There's a lot to this game. This game has a lot of, a lot of paths you can take. A lot of paths and a lot of like guilt <laughs> from this game for no reason. Um, but it's it's a it's a very deep game. I applaud the lore that they use in the real world locations that they shoehorn into this in this plot because you do travel all around the world. You it, it doesn't feel out of place to be like in the I don't remember where the ice ice part is. Is that is that Greenland or yeah, Antarctica Greenland. or something like that? But um, like you don't feel out of place for those areas for this lore to just be there. And it, so it's it's very well written. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a James Bond or a James Bond. It feels like a Indiana Jones movie. Like it, it feels like it could be a movie that just happens to be a video game. I, I agree. It does a good job of capturing the spirit of the movies and kind of putting it into this point and click game. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. I, I do have a couple trivia things for you guys. Okay. Um at the end of the game, it it says that Indiana Jones adventure uh, Indiana Jones will return. Um, do you know what they were foreshadowing at the end of the game? Yes. What was it, Joe? It's the uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yes, the, like, the TV young... show that that came out around that time. Yeah. Yeah, the Young Indiana Jones series, which I remember watching with with you uh lbj i don't remember yeah. details of it but i remember we enjoyed it a lot i watched every episode uh well not every episode i watched every episode of the first season and most of the episodes in the second season i feel like that show is like the episodes where he was like a 20 year old and whatever were really good but the ones when he was like an eight or a nine year old were not good correct <laughs> that is correct yeah that and, seems uh, like that'd be right this game, the game was also planned to be released on the Sega CD. I 
But because of uh, Secret of Monkey Island not doing too well on the Sega CD, they, they kind of canned that release. Which I also uh, own on Sega CD. Yep. And um, they were eventually um, going to do a sequel to this game yeah. uh, called Indiana Jones and the Iron Phoenix. But it was discontinued in 1995, and then um, a comic published by Dark Horse came out in 94 based on the plot of what that game was supposed to be. Yeah, well, the the reason why the game was canceled was actually 15 months into development, and um, the game heavily focused on uh, neo-Nazism, and... they said that it was insensitive to Germans, and believe it or not, the one of the largest markets for point-and-click games is Germany. So they weren't going to be able to really market it well in Germany, so they get 15 months into, into production with this game, figure out that it's going to not sell in Germany, and that there's no way they're going to recoup their costs if they continue, so they just canceled it. Yeah, the uh, Germany. Uh, I don't know about nowadays, but certainly up into the the like '90s and early 2000s, uh, had a lot of strict laws about like Nazism in entertainment and stuff. Uh, so yeah, no, that's they they didn't do their homework in designing that game. That's a shame because uh, that would have been awesome to have a sequel or or a another game in this series. Yep, agreed. The- the thing that I found, and, and, and maybe you guys saw this too, but I, I did not know this, and it was wild to me, is that there's a different version of this game that's the uh, Indiana Jones and Fate of Atlantis, the action game. Did you guys read about this at all? Oh, it's like yeah. A, it's like a version of the game. It has the same basic plot, but it's not like a point-and-click one. It's like you walk around and like punch people and stuff. I watched a couple of the, the playthrough videos of it, just some parts of it. It does not look good. But uh, it's wild to me that it's like a completely separate game, and it's what was it's, it for? It, it's a PC game as well. Wow, it came I didn't out. See this. It's like yeah, like you should look it up. It's it's literally called Indiana Jones: Fate of Atlantis: Colon the Action Game. So it's like the same <laughs> basic plot, but it's not point and click. It's like the the levels I watch you like walking around, just like punching guys and stuff like that. Like there was one in the submarine and like one in Atlantis and stuff like that. But it was crazy. I had no idea that they made a game like. Apparently, it was not popular and it did not do well. But if uh, uh if you are interested in you know the the fate of Atlantis, the Indiana Jones game, uh, but you're illiterate. Uh, we have good news. There's a backup uh, video game for you in uh, today's episode. Just take this review and remove all the reading, and boom, you got that game. Yep. Yeah. It, it looked it looked bad, but it just kind of blew my mind because I was like, "Whoa, I did not know that." So I immediately like searched it and was like, "Ooh." Chops, do you happen to have any speedrun info on this game before we uh, uh, jump into music? Yeah. The the. The sad thing with adventure games and point-and-click ones specifically um, in the speedrun is they skip all the dialogue. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't played the game before, you have no idea what's going on. You're just seeing them use a bunch of items and click into places and then skipping things and like purposefully avoiding puzzles to like not have to do extra work. So um, the saveless version so there's a saveless speed run for this game in the fists category because they have the path of the wits uh path of fists and path of the the team one um 
the fist's version is 36 minutes 45 seconds um this record was actually six months ago this person got it wait not uh, nine hours not nine hours. No, not nine hours. Oh, okay. Um, and it's first place is Indy Kenobi. <laughs> it's the name of the speedrunner. Okay. Um, and they but they played the DOS, MS DOS version, so I'm mm-hmm. um, assuming this one was uh, not the talk one. Uh, it was probably it would, just yeah, it wouldn't be talk one. But there is yeah, there's there's the three paths for speed run for the speedrun categories. There's uh, save and saveless, and there is also even a max IQ version. Uh, okay. Which is a has to do with beating the game in all the paths on I think a harder difficulty as well, and there's like a point system built into the game mm-hmm. uh, that like grades you on how well you did on each of those paths, and I, I think there's like a max score you can get, and that's even one of the speed runs for that too. Interesting. Yep. Well, guys, uh, let's go ahead and uh, take a brief pause. We'll hear a word from one of our partners, and then we'll jump into the music. Imagine being stuck in a room for days, far from your friends and family while feeling sick and scared. Now, imagine being in that same room, but having access to online gaming, virtual reality, 3D printing, Lego robotics, and the ability to create your own Twitch channel. At CS Mott Children's Hospital, we use video game technology to improve our patients' lives and help them reach their therapeutic goals. But we can't do it without your help. Every device and interaction provided to our patients is paid for by the thoughtful donations of gamers like you. If you want to help, then go to tiltify.com slash mottchildren. That's T-I-L-T-I-F-Y dot com slash M-O-T-T children. There, you can make a one-time donation or, if you're a content creator, learn how to stream for Mott. So if you want to help other gamers like you, please visit tiltify.com slash mottchildren and play for the little victors. All right, so the music for uh, this game was composed by Clint Bajakian, Peter McConnell, and Michael Land. Now, all three of them worked on Monkey Island 2, Lechuk's Revenge, Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max Hit the Road, and uh, Star Wars X-Wing as well. Uh, So, you know, they they, uh, uh, had a lot of... uh, Lucas Arts credits, you know, to their uh, uh, name. It's probably like like They're their the in-house, house. yeah, yeah oh, in-house yeah. Uh, studio. Because you know, at this time, Lucas is like buying up every type of like piece of of the process when it comes to movies and video like every step along the way they're just acquiring different things to make everything under the Lucas umbrella. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, now, uh, uh, the first song we have is actually credited to John Williams of course because it's the uh, uh, the main theme of Indiana Jones uh, but let's go ahead and give it a listen and you know hear how it sounds on uh, you know old computer technology. It's, uh, uh, I, I feel like it's not anything 
special, you know, because of the, the, the old technology. But hearing such a familiar tune on the old, like, you know, IBM, you know, sound chips or whatever, <laughs> uh, there is a certain charm to it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, arguably one of the most recognizable themes in movie history. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's just a song that everyone knows. And so it's, it is kind of, you're right, it is kind of like a, it, it, there's, a, there's a strange fascination kind of hearing this iconic piece of music in such a, a, a like, weird uh, uh, form of it, of it uh, kind of out there. It's, yeah. it, and the, it feels like a song, like if we had an old Casio keyboard growing up, <laughs> I feel like there's a, there is a tune on there of an instrument, we'll say, because they don't sound anything like a, 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 of that sound effect that I could probably recreate the Indiana Jones theme on. <laughs> yeah. And the, the CD-ROM version, this, it sounds a little bit better, but not much. <laughs> that, yeah, that seems right. Uh, now, uh, uh, the final song that we'll go ahead and play uh, just a little bit of is uh, uh, a regular track so that the composers would have made themselves uh, called The Coldest Year of My Life. Let's go ahead and give this a little bit of a listen. It's certainly nothing too crazy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's the music for a point-and-click adventure, so, you know, I, you know, you probably don't want, like, such amazing music that it's like, oh, I don't want to proceed with the game. I just want to sit here and listen. Uh, but I think for, you know, the, the kind of the poorer quality of, you know, those sound chips back in the day, it's certainly not terrible. It definitely has. Uh, it definitely wins the word award for the most emo title. The coldest <laughs> yeah. year of my life. The coldest year of my life. Yeah, it, it's very. It's very much just. I mean, like, like background. You know, like oh, yeah. elevator type, kind of like just to be there. So, so it, you know, kind of more like. It it's seems definitely. Not, yeah, it's definitely not the the any kind of focus of the game, and it's you know, it's kind of the music that I remember hearing in a lot of these point-and-click games is kind mm-hmm. of this kind of just atmospheric background kind of there so it's just not complete silence yeah for sure i uh, but yeah that's the the soundtrack we uh we don't have a lot to play from uh uh this one i uh, but i uh, i uh, guys we uh talked about indiana jones quite a bit but what are your final thoughts on indiana jones and the fate of atlantis 
Um, I'll go first. I really enjoy this game. This, um, coupled with uh, the Infernal Machine, which is another Indiana Jones point-and-click adventure game, um, I really enjoy them. They're, if you're looking for a good introduction into the series, um, this of oh, point-and-click adventures is what I mean. This and Monkey Island, I think, are the best way to start out. I think those are the most... Um, I don't want to say approachable, but like the easiest for you to get introduced to them, um, or even full throttle for that matter. I think is a good one because it's shorter. But um, I I love these games a lot, and I could see myself going back and playing them um, later on in my life and showing them to my kids because it's just a fun. It's it's a it's a straight up story. You're interacting with more of a story than looking for like running and gunning in modern video games or whatever like the newest party game is. It's it's a really cool way to sit down and play a story. Um, you know, I, I, I agree. I, it's funny because I kind of almost agree with you, but then I'm like, like I really do love this game, and it definitely means a lot. Like it always kind of like. Like I said, I just thinking about this game is like I'm back in the basement on that Packard Bell, like playing it. Like it definitely like will always kind of hold a special place just because of it. And it is, I mean, it is, it does a really good job. But I mean, like the point and click game is, I mean, it's like if you're not familiar, it's a very kind of, you know, different thing to get into. And honestly, where I kind of differ with you is I love the game, but I just, I don't know if I'd ever want to go back and play it again. That's just kind of how I feel. Not because it's a bad game. It's just because it's like, all right, I don't know if I want to go through all of this again. You know, like, but I definitely do think it's a good game. And if you you have an interest, you know, if you like, if you're an Indiana Jones fan or you have an interest of, you know, trying out a point and click game, I think this is a good one, like you said, to kind of get in on the ground floor on. LPJ? Yeah, point and click games are like putting together a puzzle. Like you have to, you have to be ready to um to do the work like it, it's 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 a game you're playing a story uh, but at the same time the game is a project it's not something that you're gonna sit and complete in one sitting if you've never played it before uh it's a game that you're going to work on and work at um steadily over the course of time and uh as far as that style of game goes this is widely considered to be one of the greatest of all time, um, along with a game like Monkey Island. But I, I would say of the point-and-click adventure games, uh, th this actually is the highest-selling LucasArts point-and-click adventure game of all time. Um, and it, it's it's fantastic, especially if you like Indiana Jones. Uh, and if you're into the Indiana Jones lore, like the books and the comics, um, this is very much in the Indiana Jones world. Uh, but again... I love this game because I love games like this. If you don't want a game that's a project, you probably shouldn't play this. I mean, people love Dark Souls type games, which are are punishment games in my opinion. So that's I'm different. sure there's a yeah, but like I, I'm sure there's, there's a group. I would around. never play Dark Souls. It, right, exactly, and I wouldn't either. But I feel like it's like sort of the same kind of thing. You're putting yourself, you're committing yourself to the gameplay of it as you would a dark souls type game you're committing yourself to that gameplay experience um yeah okay, so, yeah, that's so that that that's what i mean by that well my final thoughts are uh if you're you know really into indiana jones uh and you know 
Crystal Skull was horribly disappointing and you wanted a better end note and you happen to have nine hours on your hand, you can just jump on YouTube and watch the game. <laughs> Guys, let's go ahead, though, uh, and uh, jump on in to our Retro Rewind. Ready to go back in time? It's Retro Rewind. Grand Theft Auto 3. Now get into CDI, starting at two ninety-nine. Say it. Suck it, suck it up! The Nintendo Entertainment System. Now you're playing with power. Gentlemen, listeners, uh, we're covering June of 1992. And uh, I mean, by now you should know that I have just nothing but bad news all the time, right? (laughs) Uh, I expect it. I look forward (laughs) to it. Well, I have bad news if you're looking for my bad news. Because when I was going through the Detroit Free Press, uh, there was a more important story that I had to cover for you guys. On June 1st of uh, 1992, the Detroit Free Press covered a small little story about a paleontologist named Peter Dodson, who had an article about him and the fact that he was critiquing plastic dinosaurs from Imperial Toys for not being accurate enough. And Dodson had just formed in the previous year the Dinosaur Society. Oh. Why am I not a member of this society? <laughs> does it still exist? Uh, I don't think it does. Uh, so apparently Dodson uh, formed it with a few other colleagues, and it was uh, uh, to get grant money for, like, dinosaur research projects. I. Uh, but I, I was reading the article, and I was like, man, Imperial Toys, that name doesn't really ring a bell. Uh, if you Google or jump on eBay, Imperial Toys Dinosaur, I guarantee if you were from the 80s and early 90s when you were a kid, you'll know those dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, I know what they are. We had some. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, As soon as I saw that, I was like, there's no way I can't. I, I, yeah, I got to talk about this. Craig, I think you need to found, found, um, become the founder of the new and reformed Dinosaur Society. <laughs> you could be the new father of that uh, cult. I mean, uh, group. And then I can, <laughs> then I can get grant money to yes, pull grant money, pull blood out of mosquitoes, <laughs> and make my own Jurassic Park. Oh man! Just well, like that Sega CD game. Chuck, <laughs> what did you find for us? Um, one of the June 1992. Um, some of the notable releases aren't very noticed. Notable. Um, there was a Game Boy game released called High Stakes Gambling. Huh. Which was pretty fun. Um, and King of Monsters Two. Oh, I know that King of Monsters. Yeah, I, I remember playing that game a lot. That was a sweet um, game like there wasn't a whole lot um released too much uh other than um november or i guess the only noticeable thing that i want to mention in the year of 1992 for game releases is sonic the hedgehog 2 came out uh which is an amazing game um but the other thing i wanted to mention was that june 19th batman returns was released 
Yeah. Uh, a really good Batman movie and um, a little bit of local Detroit news on June 20th. Uh, Dino Cicerelli was traded to uh, by the Washington Capitals to the Detroit Red Wings. Cicerelli, which, man. Which, which I feel like is, a, is a, a player that we really enjoyed in our family for some reason. Yeah. It's a name I've not heard in a long time. I, know, I, would, right? I, would, I would like to contend that Batman Returns is not a good Batman movie. But that's probably a discussion for a different podcast. Yeah, uh, probably. <laughs> and then uh, the only other thing I had, which will uh, let LPJ go, was that on June 14th, the NBA Finals happened, and the Chicago Bulls beat the Portland Trail Bra- uh, Blazers 97 to 93 in Game Six, making um, back-to-back titles for the Bulls and giving Jordan his second straight year of MVP. All right. Uh, well, let's let Joe go next because I want to wrap things up. I have one bit of pop culture trivia that I want to end this thing on. Oh, okay. okay. Um, as I do on uh, LP and L- LPJ and I show, uh, I looked uh, into kind of the top grossing movies of 1992. Um, number one is Aladdin. Uh, number two is Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Uh, and as Chops mentioned, number three is Batman Returns. Uh, and in case you were curious, it's not a year that we have covered on the podcast that much. The only movies from 92 we have done are number 36, which was Passenger 57. Oh, it's been a- number 40, which is Universal Soldier. I have for you guys the Billboard Hot 100 from the week of June 6, 1992. Let's see if you can guess what the number one song is. I'll give you a hint. It's from two kids who wear their clothes backward. Crisscross? Oh. Yes. Jump? And the song was Jump, yes. <laughs> yes. Other notable releases uh, are, um, let's see. What's a good one? Uh, Ain't Too Proud to Bang from TLC. Ooh. Uh, Tennessee by Arrested Development. Hold On My Heart by Genesis. Tears in Heaven was at number 15 from Eric Clapton. Uh, Everything About You, Ugly Kid Joe. And to wrap it up at number 21, Just Take My Heart by Mr. Big. Yes. (laughs) And I want to wrap all this up with maybe the most important pop culture pop culture event of June of 1992, uh, the Seattle Mariners were sold in 1992 to a Japanese investment firm whose major shareholder was Nintendo. That's right. 1992 is when Nintendo bought the Seattle Mariners and started putting uh, all their advertisements everywhere. And it, it, and it basically brought it basically brought the Japanese professional baseball player to the United States. You get uh, Ichiro Suzuki coming over, Kurt Suzuki, Hideo Nomo, Hideki Arabu, all these guys coming over uh, over the course of the years all started from when Nintendo bought Seattle Mariners. And the most important uh, fact of uh, that is we eventually got the greatest baseball game of all time on the Super Nintendo in Ken Griffey Jr.'s Major Presents Major League Baseball. <laughs> right. I, I really thought your uh, show closing fact for June of 92 is going to be my 12th birthday, but you know. No, it wasn't, unfortunately. 
It was really, it was really not memorable for me. Uh, unless your birthday was sponsored by Nintendo, then I don't think so. It's just right. Hovercraft Joe in the box seats of the Mariners game with the, the little like uh, little tiny flags, and he's like, "I wish somebody could have shown up for my birthday." This is a sweet one. What, what do we have done for your birthday in June of '92? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably had a sleepover in his basement. We honestly, we probably went and saw like Batman Returns. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> I, I like that movie. I'm sorry. I like it. Have you not watched it in like 20 years? Is that why you said like it's a good movie? <laughs> Maybe. Well, let's move on to a happier topic. I. Uh, Let's go ahead and dive into our music bracket, where we're covering Mega Man stage themes. Now, uh, first up, from Mega Man 5 on the Game Boy, composed by Koji Murata, we have the theme of Pluto. Let's go ahead and give it a listen. the Game Boy is, you know, you know, pe some people don't really put much stock into the soundtracks that come out of the Game Boy. Uh, and certainly there are plenty of Game Boy soundtracks that aren't anything special. But sometimes you get gems like this. That is an amazing song to be coming out of a Game Boy speakers. <laughs> you know, the, the Mega Man Game Boy series in general was phenomenal. I would say it's as close to on par as its NES you know, equivalent um, as anything, but it's fantastic. Yeah, certainly by the time you got to the, you know, the fifth installment on the Game Boy, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That, that song just reminds me, I don't know why, it puts me in the mindset of like an 80s montage, like training <laughs> sequence, like a Rocky montage. Uh, it's really good. 
Uh, now, going up against, uh, uh, you know, Pluto from uh, Mega Man 5 on the Game Boy, we have, from Mega Man 5 on the Nintendo, composed by Mari Yamaguchi, the theme of Gyro Man. Let's go ahead and give it a listen. So good. I and love Euros. They're so <laughs> delicious. I don't know why they made a robot master on Greek roll-up sand or Greek Greek uh, you know pita sandwiches, but regardless, I'm glad they did. Was that his what what was Gyro Man's thing? Like, can I ask a dumb question? A gyro, like a propeller. Helicopter kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Spinning sandwich. <laughs> yes. He shot the uh, he shot, shot uh, lamb meat. Sauce. He shot sauce all over everybody. Yeah. No, you know, the, the level he's the is, is has he's the tzatziki cucumber sauce. gets stuck in your eyes. The level has tzatziki sauce pits that if you fall in it says your movement. Uh-huh. And he smelled uh, like he smelled like raw onions and lamb. And, 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 yeah. There's um fans that blow, but it's really just robots' mouths open with garlic coming in. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It's a hot mess. It's yeah. a hot mess. And there's like it comes with curly fries. It's crazy. <laughs> it's weird. There's also this one enemy that's shaving meat that flings it flings it at you as he as he right, shaves right. it. So weird. It's also uh uh like visiting my family. Uh <laughs> that's basically uh what that's like. But on the plus side, everybody gets uh everybody gets uh, baklava. Mm. <laughs> yep. Delicious. I uh, well, for our listeners who don't know. Uh, in order to vote in this uh, uh, wonderful, wonderfully imaginative music bracket, uh, you can, of course, jump on our Facebook page. Uh, we have a vote there uh, with emojis. We have a vote on our Twitter account. If you go to uh, GameZillaMedia.com, you can sign up for our Discord. We have an emoji poll there every week as well. And if you give as little as $1 per month, you're going to be able to uh, not only support us, uh, you know, uh, the Legend of Retro on the Gamezilla Media, uh, but uh, you'll also get a uh, uh, you know bonus vote every week there as well. But if you're uh, kind enough to give as much as five dollars per month, you also get the bonus episode uh, Game Shark 
that we release every month, uh, as well as the post credit scene that Last Action Podcast unleashes every month. And uh, for our listeners who don't know, uh, Hovercraft Joe, LPJ, tell the listeners about Last Action Podcast. Well, the Last Action Podcast is a fantastic podcast hosted by myself, Hovercraft Joe, and the Sphinx, and we talk about action movies, as the title would implicate. Um, the three of us love action movies. We pick one out, we watch it, and then we talk about it. And um, our post credit scene is basically it's a mixed bag of kind of whatever topics we want to talk about related to uh, action movies and movies in general, or actually in, in some cases it's not related to anything like the time Joe took me to action court uh, because he didn't like my opinion of the Thomas Jane Punisher uh, jokes on him. I still won. Yeah. But I, I, as I've told you, I'm preparing the paperwork for a retrial and I, I feel like I'm going to get, I get, I get somehow get chops involved in it. Cause I feel like he might side with me on this uh, Thomas Jane Punisher. <laughs> uh, I will have to hear both sides uh equally to make my uh, opinion heard i will not cast any previous uh notion of, of how i feel about it chops if you were to recommend an episode of last action podcast that you've been a guest on for our listeners to get a good jumping point what would that be definitely listen to the dick tracy episode <laughs> uh no no the, that'll just make you hate uh sphinx um I would recommend Legend of Drunken Master, honestly. Yeah. That was a really fun episode that we did that I got to introduce it to um, both you, LBJ, and yeah. Hovercraft had never seen it before. Older mm-hmm. or earlier in Jackie Chan's career, one of his movies. Uh, it's an amazing martial arts movie. It was a really fun episode to record as well. So uh, I would check that one out. Yep, for uh, sure. For me, and oh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, for me, I think the episode uh, that I'd recommend. Uh, our listeners uh, jump to if you're looking for, you know, an episode with me on it uh, would be the uh, last action podcast where we cover Moonraker. Uh, <laughs> I have a I have a hot take about that movie. Uh, and it's not just about the amazing end credit music. I highly <laughs> recommend you jump into that one. Uh, I stand by my statements. <laughs> and uh, and we're kicking off the new year with kind of a new initiative for the year. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell everybody about that? Yeah, uh, 2021 for us is the, we're calling it the year of the sequel. Uh, So we're going to dive into a lot of these sequels to these big action movies that we've kind of done the first part of. You know, we're we're doing your Lethal Weapon 2s, your Die Hard 2s. And it's not going to be the only movies we cover, but it's definitely going to be a focus. And, you know, we're going to win at all possible. We're going to try and bring back the guests that were on the original episode. So I don't don't know if either of you are on any uh, big first movies but we'll definitely be knocking on your door for the sequel if you will is there any indiana jones sequels coming up <laughs> no no <laughs> i bet you i bet we can do the crow city of angels <laughs> oh, oh you God, know what please don't please don't we, we could get chops to come on to do that like sequel to 300 they made i don't like i don't remember what it's called but i never 300? saw it but... no, i'm just kidding <laughs> 302? <laughs> 302 electric boogaloo right <laughs> Okay, don't. I'm not crazy. They made a sequel to 300. They did. Sphinx brought it up in the 300 episode because he, okay. yeah. Anyways, listen to that episode. You can find out more about it. <laughs> that was a good episode. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, sure. Yeah, all right. Well, I guess we have differing opinions. Never mind. Please don't listen to that one. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, well, guys, I think that it's time for us to sign off. Uh, so we'll see y'all next time when the legend continues.